to the Reads and Writes podcast with Cody Hosterman and Jason Massey. Cody, we haven't had a, a podcast in a while. It's good to be back. It has been far, far too long, and I I feel like I take full blame for it. But you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna blame. I'm just going to blame you. I was going to say it's your fault, not mine, but it, it truly is mine. But no, it's good to be back. It's uh, It's been a while. I think we have a lot of a lot of cool folks to, to talk to over the next couple months, years, you know, certainly. But I call a, a few cool ones uh, queued up. And how's your, uh, how's your uh, New Year's? How was your holiday break? Uh, it was good. It was pretty mellow. I had a couple of sick family members. So we just kind of buckled down and hung out. Nothing major, but it was nice. Everybody recovered. Pretty quiet though. How about yours? That's been the kind of the recurring story, I think, with every how was your New Year's? It was like, well, 75% of my family was sick with various diseases and illnesses. But you know, we we hung out, chilled out, everyone got a little bit better, and then they got a little bit worse. And yeah, it was kind of the same thing on my side. We all kind of got COVID one after another. And then, uh, you know, my son's in daycare, so he's gotten just the whole litany of all of the things. Um, but we were able to make it back to the East Coast to visit my family, which was fun, even though we did get caught up a little bit in those cancellations and stuff. So the, tri- the trip was a little bit tighter. Um, but overall, you know, it was good. It was good to be back, but it was fun. Yeah, the whole sickness, it just seems like it's just here and there and one person gets sick. And yeah, just slowing everything down, it seems like, too, whether it's travel, whether it's visiting, whatever it is. But yeah, the when you got the kids in the daycare, that's like a petri dish. You never know what you're what they're going to bring home. Yeah, it's looking like I'm going to knock out my year's deductible in the first month of this year. I think so. <laughs> it's it's the way it is. It's the way it is. Well, Drew, welcome. We've got Drew Tonizen from Dell EMC. Drew, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, good to be here, guys. Um, so yeah, I work for uh, Dell, and um, I'm a technical staff member, um, which means I basically do tech stuff. So uh, I work on uh, our high-end platforms, PowerMax, used to be called Asymmetrics or VMAX, if you know that name. Uh, And I also work on the PowerFlex, which is a a highly scalable system we have. And I do a lot of the testing for the VMware integrations, you know, write papers and blogs, very much like Cody used to do uh, in the past. In fact, I worked with Cody at, at Dell uh, many years ago before he went to Pure. So I could see a lot of different things and I work with a lot of customers uh, on customer calls almost every week, even though I'm in engineering. The sales guys, as I'm sure you know, love to pull engineers into conversations with customers. Uh, I'm not sure how they like uh, me coming because I'm a, I'm a little bit honest with customers, but uh, <laughs> it keeps them on their toes anyway. Yeah, that's good. I We used to do the same thing. I'd get called in and sometimes it's like, are you sure you want to call in the uh, the experts, the guys that are really in the groundwork? It You might not get the answer you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get the, probably the truth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, in the end though, I think customers appreciate that directness, right? Because I, I mean, they're often oh, yeah. very used to getting half answers or hand wavy things and 
it's one of those things that kind of de-risks their choice. So they are, I know the up, I know the good, I know the bad, I know the risks, I know the history, and it allows them to make a better choice. And I think in the end, it makes for more loyal customers and a better solution for all. Just sometimes it's a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation when there's a gap or a problem, but it's one of those things just better to address it head on. Because it's truly a major problem, then it should be actually addressed, right? You know, so that's, we, we couldn't make this sale because we have this problem or this issue or this gap. And that's really what drives it forward. And if that's not exposed, sometimes it's just, you know, it just, it becomes really ugly. And yeah, like you drew you, he, we, you and I worked together uh, years ago. You know, I, I was at EMC at the time, um, Symmetrics Partner Engineering, I believe is what we called the organization. I worked for uh, a really fantastic human being named Balaganishan, um, who's moved on to Samsung, I think, a couple of years ago, and uh, grew the team and brought in this guy named Drew. Uh, he knew some stuff about Oracle, uh, if I recall, was basically <laughs> how I was in- introduced to you, and and we became pretty pretty close friends. It was always fun to work with you on on VMware stuff, and, and frankly, you know, yes, we work for quote unquote competitors, but. Drew and I keep close over the years. We both have similar goals in mind from the industry, the technology uh, around, you know, how VMware storage interacts. Of course, you know, VVols is a common conversation for the two of us. It's always been fun to to work with. And I always said, you're always someone to give an honest opinion. And so that's uh, that's highly appreciated, I think, across the board. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, I, I think when customers look at at competitive companies, they, they think we're all at each other's throat. And that really only happens at the sales level. When you get down to the engineers, you'd be, you know, customers would be surprised how many engineers of all these competitive companies talk to each other, you know, work with each other. You know, we all have the same type of issues, problems. And, you know, it's it's always worth, you know, how many times have I sent you an email like, you know, look, this isn't working in VMware. And it's always VMware. It doesn't work. Right, Jason? Sure. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's never the storage. It's never the storage. Or, you know, let's just agree to blame the network and move on with our lives. Here. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that'll, that'll work, too. It's a network. Yeah, yeah definitely a Cisco problem. <laughs> But no, it's 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 true. Like I, I think you know, there's you know, certainly there's some friendly competition here and there across it. But in the end, like you know, when we're looking at technology, and I'll keep using VVOLs as an example here because it's something the three of us have dedicated a lot of our careers, honestly, over the past ten years to understanding and talking about. Is that we truly see value in it. We think the technology is cool, uh, just like someone that's working on Kubernetes here or there or wherever, right? You know, they want to push it. They want to provide better understanding. They want to work together to improve it. And then, you know, as vendors, we can differentiate, we can build cool things, we can do it better than the others and in, in our opinions and so forth and try to prove that out to the customer. But it's, and it's kind of one of these things that boils down to, you know, everything kind of all the ships float up together, right? So we improve this right. base, everyone gets improved, the customers can take advantage of it. And then the competitors can compete right to make better solutions and we improve you and you improve us and it's it's it, it works out really well and of course for that to really matter sometimes we have to strategize a bit around you know what hey like we all want to do this because we have our own use case but if we don't if we don't work with vmware to nail this or work with with all the storage vendors to make sure this is happening then like it none of the other differentiation really matters and so i think that's really we see this with you and I and Eric over at HPE and a lot of other folks around, you know, what what can be done? How can we work together? And I think it's always been a, kind of a fun part around working in the technology industry in general is that there is some, at the engineering level, there's cooperation. We look at the, the spec boards, what's going on with SNEA. Like there's a lot of competitors that collaborate for the larger good. And I think I think that's really always been a fun part of, of what we do. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Vivals is one, uh, I think, 
NVMe over fabrics is, you know, another area where, you know, we're all interested in having, you know, VMware uh, uh, increase the capability in that space because, you know, we all want to take advantage of that, all the different vendors. Um, certainly, as you say, VVols is, is the key example. I mean, we all, we all need a certain amount out of it so that we can, you know, produce solutions for our customers. So it behooves us to all work together and, um, you know, get what we need out of it. And then we just differentiate, you know, when we need to, you know, in specific ways. Yeah. A lot of the stuff we work on, there's, we have both companies are design partners. So we're all working together, you know, to figure out the, like, you mentioned Cody was the spec, right? The Vivol spec. We've talked about what features, what function, and we all have to work together to figure out how we're going to define these specs so that we can then go out and work on building those. I mean, I, it's it's definitely that's a big part of these design partnerships, right? It's something. I mean, I, I semi involved in it, I guess, back in the day when as an EMC, a lot more involved in it these days. Um, well, I appear just because of my change in role and so forth. But like, yeah, I mean, it's a really great opportunity for partners to work with VMware to say, like, hey, like we see this feature as valuable. Like um, we feel that we can do some differentiation on our side, but in order for us to really be able to do that, like it needs to be designed in a certain way to allow us to do that. Right. Or if it's designed in this way, it makes our use case better. And so being able to be involved early to put, to really say like, no, these are the requirements of the solution. These are the swim lanes. These are places that this is something we should allow or something that we should not allow. That's really critical. I think to the the end result across the board. Um, And I think it's really great that VMware does this stuff, right? Because like they could easily just kind of like Sermon on the Mount. Here's here's um here's exactly how it's going to work. Support it and and do what you can. And there it is. And that's not the way they've always worked. And that's the way they continue to to work. And it's great. So like I always appreciated it. And, and, you know, generally, yeah, like we're the, we're the, we're the organizations, the companies that are involved in that. So it's something that we're, uh, we're not taking our foot off the gas, I'd say around and neither is VMware. No, not at all. I can definitely tell Drew, you, do you ever, do you ever want to go back to bartending? If I recall, that's kind of, <laughs> that's where you I, started out. If I do actually, I swear if I didn't work 60 hours a week, I, I'd look for, you know, a night gig <laughs> just to get out and, and talk to people. Sometimes you got to get your, uh, your, your head out of the, out of the tech world that you're constantly in. But, uh, yeah, I do, uh, I do think about that. In fact, I was, do you remember, um, Russell, Kim Karen? So mm-hmm. Russell and I were talking about opening a Chick-fil-A, you know, get a franchise. And a Chick-fil-A. Well, you need to very specifically design the drive through <laughs> and the parking lot. Otherwise that can turn into a municipal disaster is what I've been hearing. I believe there was some town recently we have one, we have one that here. forced it. <laughs> and it is a municipal disaster. Yeah. Like I believe like some, some like city council, like literally forced the Chick-fil-A to redesign their parking lot and the building and everything because it was causing such a traffic backup that it was like dangerous. And I, there's one in my, my neighborhood here in Redwood city. And it's like, I don't take that exit off of one one when I, when I can avoid it because of that <laughs> specific problem. Um, it's kind of wild. So Drew, what's, what's, what, you know, these days, what's kind of getting you up in the morning from, from a, a technology perspective? Like, what are you particularly interested in? You know, I know you mentioned NVMware Fabrics, VVols is, is in those round is, is what's, what's, what's very interesting. What's top of mind for you these days? Yeah, th- those two tend to be the, probably the biggest at the, at the storage level. And then I would say 
peripheral there is is cloud. Um, you know, the storage arrays and, and that I work on, you know, tend to be very, um, I don't know, media is the right word, you know, meaning we have a lot of banks that run on them. And so those banks tend not to put stuff in the cloud, but uh, a lot of our other customers are trying to move um, some things to the cloud, you know, and there's all sorts of, you know, issues and concerns around that, you know, between how to get it there and security and all that. Um, but the, you know, the two technologies, as you say, that are, uh, you know, most, I most focus on now are uh, Vivals and, um, and NVMe over fabrics. And I'd say in the, in the Vival space, you know, as we slowly get there and, and customers, you know, get a little bit more interested, I, I think we we tend to uh, have a little bit more uptick at this point now that VMware has um, um, kind of pushing it a little bit more heavily. And certainly, you know, uh, um, the amount of customers that run it on, on your systems is is helpful in getting the word out to, to other people. Um, so, we see, you know, an increase in, in in wanting to try it out anyway. So a lot of our systems will go out pre-configured with it so that they can run it. As far as uh, NVMe or fabrics, you know, the big technology challenge there that we see from customers going to it besides, you know, a rip and replace, you know, if you wanted to go from, let's say, fiber channel to TCP, is how do you get there, right? So um, customers you know, may not know that, you know, these two different technologies, you know, the old SCSI, when we talk about fiber channel or iSCSI, and we look at, you know, NVMe over fabrics, these are different things. And, you know, one is not the other, you can't just swap them and you're good to go. So currently, you know, the way that VMware is uh, providing moving from virtual machines on one to another is storage of emotion, which you know, is, is, is a great technology, but has its limitations. So we, we do have a, a couple of customers we're working with who have a lot of virtual machines and they're huge. <clears throat> and so they're running into an issue of uh, doing the math on paper and coming down to, it's going to take months to move this stuff. <laughs> so, you know, we've been working with VMware recently to try to come up with a, uh, you know, an offline procedure, but um we're hoping there might be, you know, uh, uh, another technology, you know, whether or not we can use something like uh, uh, cross X copy or something else that will allow it to be done online more efficiently. And so that's one of the areas that, you know, we're looking into um, with VMware. And so I find that stuff really interesting. Talk about it in the quarterlies, and um, you know, internally among our different uh, organizations and, you know, the nice thing, you know, it's like Vivals and, and NVMe over fabrics is, is never, it's not a race specific, you know, everybody kind of does it. And so, as you said, you know, there has to be a baseline here where, you know, we're all trying to work with the same technology and, you know, we're all going to have the same issue. Customers are all going to have the same issue of trying to move between protocols, no matter what they run on. So, you know, what's the best way to do it? You know, how can we make it more efficient? Yeah, especially when you're talking about large scale, I have had a few customers come in and ask, you know, how can we do, you know, hundreds of terabytes or, you know, even almost into the petabytes where you're talking about huge VMs and a lot of them. And it is, it becomes a challenge when you're wanting to move either between protocols or between arrays or whatever it might be. Uh, that, that definitely is a real challenge that we see. 
So Drew, what are you what are you seeing around interest, right? You know, there's the there's Rocky, there's FC, there's TCP, right? Uh, and I know various arrays support various technologies, and um, like, but what are you what are you generally seeing around the interest there between between the three? And uh, you know, does it depend on the customer type? Like, what's what's your what's your read on that today? So, you know, it's funny when when we had gone through the development uh, process a number of years ago, and they were going to be offering uh, NVMe over um, fabrics, we started with fiber channel. And, you know, from our standpoint, that made perfect sense. Most of our larger customers run fiber channel. And so in order for the customers to utilize and, and for those people listening who don't know, NVMe over fabrics, it doesn't require you to, to go out and and you know, rip and replace and put something new in to get it to work. You know, so if you have a fiber channel network, if you have an IP network, you, uh, you know, it, it comes down to your, you know, your systems, your arrays, your HBAs, you don't have to worry about the network itself. So our customers being fiber channel kind of went that way and we didn't really see much interest. And so when we went forward um, onto a new platform, we went TCP because that seemed to be the interest customers had. And we did have more customers start thinking about going in that direction. <clears throat> and funnily enough, <laughs> a bunch of other customers came back and said, you know, where's fiber channel? <laughs> so we're actually going to have fiber channel back because we had stopped doing um, the fiber channel uh, initially and just gone with the TCP on the newer platform. And now we're going back to the fiber channel. So, you know, the answer is we see both. We don't do Rocky. We've never done that. So um, we haven't had customers ask for that in our space. So we're really getting kind of a kind of an even mix. We're getting fiber channel requests at this point. We're getting, you know, TCP requests <clears throat> and they're very similar. You know, it's not like you're having to reinvent the wheel between the two. Um, so it, it is, you know, easy enough, I think, for us to offer both you know, which is good because I know, you know, VMware is, is also able to do that. And, you know, as we move forward with technologies like VVOLs with NVMe over fabrics, it'll be the same type of thing. I would say it's a fairly even. Do you have customers that are kind of doing a mix initially to maybe see how the protocol or the, the newer technology works? We do. Yeah. Because what, so initially, and, and I tend to work more with the, um, with the VMware customers, although initially when NVMe over Fabrics came out, <laughs> VMware actually was only one of a you know a couple who who were offering it. You know there was some there was some Linux version you could do, but even now we don't see you know physical the physical environments we don't see much with NVMe over Fabrics. It's VMware. So when customers started looking at it, you know initially of course VMware has the limitation in the number of of um, namespaces basically the number of devices that you can present in in seven so you know our customers are a little bit more conservative so it takes them a while to get to vSphere versions most are going to be running vSphere 7 for for quite a while and so they're going to be limited the number of of devices they can use with NVMe over fabric so simply by that nature um, it's a slower process so they're experimenting with it looking at it um, you know if they're already running let's say you know iSCSI then they have the network and, and they go to TCP if they have one of our systems that support NVMe over fiber channel they also look at that 
Um, as we move to vSphere 8, you know, we get a lot more namespaces, a lot more devices that customers can use. I expect as they upgrade, we'll see a lot more interest in moving in that direction. Um, and um, we, we have also, there's a lot of legacy customers out there. Um, I, I know how much, Jason, you love RDMs. Um, we, we do have a lot of customers who just love their RDMs. And since uh, VMware doesn't support that in NVMe over Fabrics, uh, it, it's kind of a little, you know, game of tug of war trying to get them to come off of, I mean, I've been trying to get them to come off of RDMs forever, forget NVMe over Fabrics. I think we uh, all know, are, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, you get you get them off of that, you know, or you know, Vvols or whatever will make them happy to get them off of uh, RDMs. But uh, uh, some are really cemented in there. You know, the customers either remember a time long ago when RDMs were faster. You know, based it was just you know the way it just worked better at VMware. But that was so long ago, and I try to keep telling customers this. I'm like, you're just making your life incredibly difficult by using RDMs, which you just move over at least to VMFS. Let's get over there to start with. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. I ran into a customer just the other day and they weren't even doing shared RDMs. They were just using plain direct <laughs> plain RDMs. I'm like, do you guys do realize there's much better ways to do this and significantly, and they were like, oh man, that would just be great if we didn't have to manually provision all this stuff. I'm like, you know, usually it's the the challenge becomes somebody using a shared disk and there's a specific feature that either VVOLs or VMFS doesn't support yet, which is very little, but sometimes that's a a key feature that they can't migrate. But when I hear, right, like so you said, you, the, yeah. oh, I'm using RDMs because that's just how we do it. I'm like, oh my gosh, please. Yeah. It's, it's Oracle, so it has to be RDMs. And I'm like, no, it really doesn't. <laughs> you know, if you're using an old, you know, Microsoft clustering and you, you know, you've got to, you got to use physical RDMs. Yeah, I get it. So if you're forced to, I understand, but, you know, for the most part, that's not required. Just, you know, move up, move up to the clustered, you know, VMFS system. And then you don't have to use your Microsoft with, with physical RDMs. So, but it, I mean, it's, it's like anything. It's hard uh, for customers to, you know, it's hard for anybody to change, right? But, you know, they're just, they're used to doing it a certain way and to get them to, to move to a new method is, uh, is difficult. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always used, or not always, but I think maybe a couple of years ago, I I don't I don't know if I go as far as coined it, but I'm pretty sure I hadn't heard it before. Is describing VVOLs as kind of like a a system of well orchestrated RDMs, because like effectively that's kind of essentially what it is. Um, but to, to to Jason's point, there's there were a couple like nuanced use cases, and there and I think those will be quickly shut as as problems moving forward. I'm I'm you know I'm fairly fairly excited where things are going, but yeah, in general, like I'd say ninety percent of the time I see an RDM there, it's there because that's the way it was chosen from seven years ago, and that's the way it's at, even though it's not really technically required anymore. So hey, folks, you got an RDM? Ask yourselves why, and then. <laughs> Choose to be false, right? That's isn't right. That, isn't that, isn't that yeah. the approach there? Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, NVMe Fabrics is really interesting, and and the approach and the direction that customers are taking. You know, I I was chatting with uh, just a no, I don't want to call it a customer advisory board. It was just kind of a group of users, kind of a thing. You know, maybe a user group, if you will. Um, 
But I was just chatting about protocols and data store choices and things like that. And the, the this particular group happened to be split. Um, it was smaller, six people or something like that. Pretty much 50-50 between file customers and FC customers, like FC block, you know. And I'd say most of them were actually Vvol. Or two or two of them, I think, were Vvols on the on the block side. I was just like, hey, you know, why why did you choose that? Why did you go FC? Why are you choosing file for your data stores with VMware? And the funny thing is both sides said the exact same thing about the reason that they chose what they chose. We chose FC because it was an easy button. We don't need to do host configuration. We didn't want to deal with any of this network stuff. And this exact same thing that the file folks said about file, right? It was, you know, in the end, I, you know, it's just not that this is a surprising note to certainly the three of us and probably a lot of the listeners is that, you know, there's at this point, a lot of the choices are, uh, built in they've been there that for a while it borderlines on quote unquote you know the a religious choice but it's like yeah that's the choice <laughs> i don't see a reason to change right because like i you know i've i've got 99 problems and this choice i made 7 years ago is not specifically one right and so like right. it's it's kind of seems aligned that way so our fc customers are going nvme fc our iSCSI customers are well, there, I'd say there's more interest probably these days from over Rocky, uh, TCP over Rocky. So I, I, I'm seeing that exact same trend too. But a few of them are going Rocky, and that's generally been for the super, super ultra low latency uh, use cases where I'm seeing the, the choice around Rocky just because it has so many kind of requirements on the switching layer and, you know, Arnix and all that type of stuff. So TCP generally seems to be the choice. I, I think the biggest opportunity I see around TCP it's the it's for the people that wanted to go the iSCSI route, but had a bad problem 15 years ago, and it just would not do it ever again. But they're still open to it, and that's where I think I think a big part around NVMe TCP is certainly gonna gonna take. I I will make I will make a bet here, a bold prediction, if you will, that NVMe TCP will be the most popular NVMe fabrics protocol option transport in the next 18 months. Does anyone disagree? I don't. I, I think the same thing. And I think part of it is the simplicity without having to have, especially in the virtualized environment, there's no additional requirements. So, and I think another piece that might be driving that is, you know, we've got hundred gig NICs now. So converging an in infrastructure is, I mean, you hundred gigs, you got a couple of hundred gig NICs, you've got a ton of bandwidth. So being able to run converged with everything is really not that big a deal when you're talking about that much bandwidth. Yeah, the pipes are getting thicker. I mean, especially in the Ethernet side, there's no doubt. Now, I, it's funny, I did bring that up to the fiber channel folks. I was like, well, what do you think about this? Like, you know, 64 gig fiber channel is still kind of nascent, if you will. And, you know, we're getting to 100 gig, 400 gig, even, you know, um, connections for when it comes to Ethernet. Like, there's some crazy stuff out there. And they're like, well, you know what? That's true. But like, we're pushing some pretty heavy workloads and we're still not sweating our 32 gig networks, you know, or on FC. And so, but it, it's true. Like, as we're getting more and more network traffic, more, hybrid cloud type of deployments, I think that we're going to be sweating those networks more and more. And certainly the upper bounds around Ethernet is just, you know, it's we're now getting three, four X kind of what's possible with FC. But I think uh, FC will still be relevant for FC customers for quite some time. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, it, from for us, it comes down to for our customers, it's just cost, right? They have all the FC stuff in there and the idea of, of taking it out, having to put something else in um, is just 
you know, uh, a big deal. So they're, they're not, uh, they're not quite there, but, um, a lot of our other s systems, um, aren't even going to, you know, a lot of the other platforms we have aren't even going to offer FC. So there's straight IP PowerFlex happens to be one of those, uh, that's just going to be IP TCP based. Um, so we'll definitely see a lot more of it, uh, in that space, um, than, um, uh, probably then we'll even see on the other platforms. That's right. Scale, I, it, 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 is, it is the same thing. And if you, uh, if you actually looked at it from an installation standpoint, a lot of the directories are still named as <laughs> Scale.io. I kind of laugh, laugh about it. <laughs> right before I came to Pure, I started dabbling in it, I remember, because I started like at that point, just started learning kind of like what an API was and how to use it. And I was like playing around with Scale.io. And I actually ran a like a, a, um, a college like class, like, like I was a mentor for like a college class project team. And we did some kind of scale IO UI that we built because at that time it was CLI only. And there was like, you know, there's the, was it SDC and SD. That's right. Something. Yeah. I can't remember all the different things. Yeah. 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 All yeah, that stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of, it's like, you know, it's like the, uh, the old, uh, massively parallel systems, you know, it's just, you have all these different or, or something like, a, a you know, a Hadoop or green plum or something where you've got all these different systems out there and you can just keep adding them and, and kind of growing, um, you know, horizontally out, um, all the things. So uh, quite a bit different than, you know, traditional stuff, but it's all IP based, right? The whole, the whole thing is IP based. I mean, they do, we do offer a file also, um, which is one of the ways, you know, trying to push into like VMware, uh, VMware's cloud, um, you know, I'm trying to get them to get certified so that they can um, look at that um, as being an option to, you know, running external off of VMC with um, NFS. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I, it's, 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 you know, since it's kind of an SES thing, the IP thing is kind of, it's obviously the transport layer there. And I, I still get that question every so often when I'm talking about like kind of cloud-based storage stuff. It's like, oh, so does this support fiber channel? I'm like, yeah, I don't think there's any fiber channel on Azure or it AWS. It's um, yeah, <laughs> slightly, slightly different model there, but uh, maybe one day, maybe there's some kind of fiber channel over NVMe TCP protocol emulation type of thing. You know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why don't you get on that, Jason? Figure that one out for us. Yeah, I'll jump on that. We'll just get that here in the next release, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, Drew, what are you seeing around? I, I think I've, if I recall from your blog and a few things here and there, you, you've dabbled a bit in the the Kubernetes, the Tanzu world. Uh, what, what are you seeing around that these days? Yeah, I would say we there's definitely some um, the I see customers use you know part of their environment the ones who are interested in using it you know are using it for a piece of the environment so usually test dev right so the the development um you know personally we've moved in that direction a lot of the development a lot of the um you know uh, uh formerly where we would use a lot of different virtual machines to you know distribute let's say some some product or something so instead we're using like a photon os and then you know stick Kubernetes on that and, and, and run something like that. Um, I, I, with our enterprise customer base, um, I don't, we don't see huge movement in, in the Kubernetes space. As I said, it tends to be fairly limited 
you know, almost like the the NVMe over fabrics in the sense of, you know, they're using it in some certain respect, um, but we don't see it pervasively, you know, as as if they're taking all their applications and trying to, you know, make native applications so they can stick them into um, into this environment, you know, let's say running it in the cloud, particularly for um, Kubernetes. Um, I imagine you probably see a lot more of it uh, in your space with your customers. Yeah, I mean, we like, I'd say the, the biggest place we see that these days is um, uh, certainly the port work side of the house. Uh, I mean, that's you know what that's what they do. They focus on Kubernetes, uh, you know, SDS layer and DR and backup and integration and things like that. So a lot of it tr- drives out of that house just because also, you know, they they run everywhere Kubernetes runs. Right. So, you know, like just right. deploy it in your home lab. There you go. You can use what works with AWS, Azure, GCP, Oracle Cloud, IBM, you know, wherever. Right. So certainly a lot of that's driven out of the Portworks side. But, you know, you just see on the VMware side, we're seeing a fair amount of OpenShift, Tanzu deployments. Uh, you know, basically all of them end up leveraging CNS. So we're seeing I'd say we're seeing more and more of that I, a huge percentage of our customers are using Kubernetes. Now, the amount of them that are using it at scale right and and like as like the default option that's certainly smaller right i I think that it really around you know full enterprise adoption across the board it's got some time uh i'd say we're we're past that part of the chasm right around early adopters and things like that where it's now becoming no this is a tool set that we use containerized workloads that are either off the shelf or custom or or just dev test from a prod whatever that is certainly seeing that um is it at the scale that we're seeing vms you know, no, it's it's not quite there. But you know, the just had a customer today talking about what they're doing with FCDs and VVOLs, actually specifically with VMware. So yeah. Are your customers end up, do they do more in the CNS space as opposed to I assume that you have CSI drivers for your uh, for your arrays? Do they tend to use the native CSI or do they use just the CNS and use the CSI from uh, from VMware? Well, actually both. I mean, because essentially, so if you look at, so what we drive all of our, um, all of our provisioning through generally, that's not required, but it's an op- option is through Portworks, right? And Portworks has its own CSI driver that works with all of our products. Um, the way it works if it's running on VMware is effectively what CSI is, it's a client server model, right? So one CSI driver can be a server for another client CSI driver to provision from. So if we're running on top of VMware, Portworks will actually recognize that CNS is there and communicate, hey, CNS, I need storage. Give me some storage from your data stores. And so then CNS provisions some storage policies, converts them to storage classes, and then Portworks picks it up from there. And in that case, it can also certainly go directly to the arrays um, or it can also directly go to the VMware API and provision itself. But generally, we prefer the yeah, it's, let's, CNS is there. It's built into storage policies. That's continuously being improved and worked on with VMware. So like, kind of let's make it better together. So we see a variety of options and there's a, a couple things depending on the use case and what the customer is trying to do. Um, but generally the answer is actually kind of both. Yeah, I would say we see and certainly when I speak with customers recommendation wise, the CNS is a hell of a lot easier to uh, for customers to use you know, than trying to use, you know, a, a, a CSI through, you know, some iSCSI guest OS or something like that. Um, and, but we have a number of customers who actually want to do it through fiber channel, <laughs> believe it or not, on, on a virtual machine, you know, without doing like a pass through. 
Uh, and uh, so they're looking at that, but uh, you know, more are taking advantage of like the CM, uh, CSM modules, you know, replication. Um, so sometimes, you know, if a customer specifically wants to, you know, provision down to, as you say, individual use cases down over to a machine, they want to replicate it. It's easier to use the, the uh, CSI driver for whatever, you know, whatever storage system there is. But, uh, you know, in general, I try to steer customers to the CN. I'm like, there's, it's just so much easier, you know, you're going to be in a VMware world, you know, use the implementation that's there that they have, uh, because you're always going to be able to take advantage of whatever newness is going to be coming into it. Um, and you don't have to worry about compatibility because it's all there. Um, so it definitely interest in, in that space. I had forgotten about that when I was thinking about the, the, the Kubernetes stuff that, uh, you know, we do see, you know, CNS, uh, you know, being utilized by customers. And in particular, as you say, the VVOLs, you talk about the, in fact, there was that the change in, in eight, which is coming about um, the, the sidecar with VVOLs. And so um, I've had customers interested in using that with the Kubernetes. Yeah, the, on the Kubernetes and Tanzu and all that stuff on VVOLs, I mean, that's, you want to talk about a perfect match being able to have that individual first-class citizen, as we call it, be matched to the FCD, the first-class disk, for the persistent volume, and being able to have that as its own individual VVOL, it makes a, a perfect match for being able to assign policies, storage classes, and really manage that storage capability at a very large scale. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I... I... I warn customers if I'm talking to them and they start talking about, you know, VMware Cloud Foundation or Tanzu or whatever, I'm like, you need to do VVOLs. <laughs> like that's that's what you're doing in that space. I said, so uh, I said, start using them. You're, you're going to need them. <laughs> so here's a question, guys. So this is, you know, when we look at VMware administrators, storage team, Kubernetes, application owners, whatever, right? Um, choose any parts of these, right? Um, generally, you're looking at some level of like, there's a provider and there's a consumer, right? So in the world of we have a storage platform, we have VMware administration, the vSphere platform, and then we have containers running and running, being managed by Kubernetes, rather running on top of VMs. Who's the consumer and who's the provider of the storage in that world? And now, granted, maybe it's literally the same person. But, you know, I was having an interesting conversation around like the other day around this is that like, is the VMware administrator in this world either of them? Right? Uh, is the storage person the provider? Is the the container the consumer? Is the VMware consumer, or is it kind of nuanced? It's 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 interesting conversation on who who's actually being served there, and then where where the value of evolves goes, right? And who to actually pitch to. And I'm curious on your guys' thoughts there. I I, I found that um, you know in in my experience, the VMware administrator is far easier from a convincing standpoint now and, and I, I should say in the type of customers that I generally speak with there's always a bifurcation of the duty right so there is always a storage administrator and there's always a VMware administrator and neither will the two meet I mean it, it's always that way and there's a DBA too who's who's got their, their say <laughs> and the VMware administrator is usually completely on board with VVOLs it, it's the convincing of the storage administrator is where we usually have to have the conversation because what we tend to see is, um, you know, because of the ease of 
the VMware administrator being able to create these objects and the storage administrator, you know, not having as much control as they used to, um, you know, it becomes a conversation of, of uh, I think, a job security, you know, it gets them very concerned because now here's something that's automated and, and maybe they're not needed as much. We, I can't control where these things are, things like that. Um, so in, 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 in my world, it's the storage administrators is the one who has to be um, told of the benefits and, and to feel that they're, they're getting a benefit out of using this so that they don't have to worry about provisioning any longer and they can move on to, you know, other aspects of their job, which um, is sometimes is good. You know, some storage administrators definitely have a, a list of things that they would rather do, but you do run into those storage admins where provisioning is probably 80% of their lives. And so uh, becomes a much more difficult conversation. Yeah, I've talked to, you know, I'm always talking to customers about VVOLs and usually it's initially the storage admin that's the most resistant. But once I've gone through all of the technical details and benefits, it's usually, and this is what I've run into, is that the storage admin is usually now pushing the VI admin. VI admin. They're like, oh my gosh, why haven't we done this sooner? This would be so much easier. I'd be able to debug you know, problems every time you come to me and I'm trying to find out if a VM has a problem within a line or a volume, you know, it's without additional tools, that's ends up being a lot more work. And now they can look at individual disks and see performance and metrics and whatever it might be. I, it's usually the storage admin at the end of the presentation that's the most anxious to move. If you look at it, right, I think what's interesting uh, about this from the VMware administrator's view, the least probably directly changes, right? In the sense, there's a data store, there's VMs, there's directories. Okay, there's some policy stuff and things like that. But from like a, an operational view to a certain extent, things don't seem fundamentally different, right? And so the while the benefits in general for them are vast, the experience is not quite as different, right? Um, when it comes to, you know, like what a data store is and how I create a VM and my workflows. And so sometimes that, that benefit is not obvious unless they understand these things that it can enable that are often outside of that experience. The storage admin, that's, I think that is the person who has the most fundamentally different experience when we're looking at VVOLs compared to VMFS, right? Because you look at VMFS, it's the storage admin sees one big old volume with a bunch of workload on it that's being written to, and that's about all they know. So problems, insights, how it's being used, absolutely no idea. With VVOLs, they're like, I know every VM. I know the disk. I know all its disks, how many disks, how much has been written to that disk. I know the performance of that disk. I know the data reduction is the case, maybe. They have so much more insight into what's going on into the VMware environment that it's it's foundationally different, right? Um, they, they, you know, they're not losing control. They're actually getting a lot more because they actually see how their storage is being used. And so I think that just just from like a slide perspective, talking to that point, that's a really direct and clear benefit from the VMware user expect. It's like, yeah, it's a data store. I got a data store here. Like, what's 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 different for me on my day to day? And so there are benefits, but I think they're just not as directly visual as that is for someone like a storage admin. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That's that's exactly what I see from the customers as well when I talk to them. They, the VI admin, really doesn't see anything different. It's the storage admin that gets all the benefits. Drew, you know, you had talked about working through a lot of customer issues. What are some of the more common issues? And is it 
is it technology based? Is it like oh, we're moving to this newer technology? We're running into problems, or is it misconfiguration? What are what are some of the more common things that you see on your side that are plaguing your day to day operations? Right. Well, I, I I'd say one of the biggest challenges, and, and I love your customers, and not to diss you. Um, it's just getting them to read the documentation, to be honest. <laughs> so it usually starts there, uh, you know, and sometimes either a failure to do so or a misinterpretation uh, ends up being a lot of the issues that, that have to be resolved. You know, there are some that, that aren't included in that. Um, as customers have moved into the newer technologies, I would say the biggest one is VVOLs because there's so many different areas that, um, uh, you know, that customers are just not, not used to, mostly, let's say, around the VASA provider and then getting into security certificates. So that tends to be um, one area where it's a universal, usually as customers implement, having trouble with certificates. Um, we have, uh, uh, you know, an HA model for VASA providers, as most, most of the vendors do. And so it requires, you know, multiple VASA provider registration and becomes a little more complicated if you want to use multiple V centers because there has to be a sharing that's going on. And so I see that a lot where customers are having trouble figuring out how, you know, certificates need to be generated, how they need to be shared, uh, accepted um, so that everything, you know, works properly. Um, and then, you know, the best way to... Uh, you know, provision in that type, uh, that type of environment, you know, how many, um, uh, let's say, containers should I have in the VVOL world? And, you know, should I run them with different storage classes? And should I be replicating this and things like that? Um, those are uh, in the VVOL space, um, probably the, the, you know, the area where I see uh, most of the problems. Um, otherwise, for customers who don't run VVOLs, who, um, you know, generally, you know, vSphere, regular data stores, VMFS, um, two things tend to pop up a lot. One is, is allocation, so provisioning. Thin, thick, we still have those conversations. I feel like that's like it's in the RDM pile, right? So now we're going to have the thin, thick conversation about, you know, what should my VMDKs be? And if I do it a certain way, you know, do I get to use, you know, let's say VAI primitives if I want to be able to unmap at the, uh, um, you know, at the guest OS level, um, uh, something of that uh, of that nature, and, and then the other conversation um, is usually around VM density. So, customers want to know how big should my data store be, and how many virtual machines should I put in? Right, as if there's a universal answer to that question, which there isn't. <laughs> the universal I'm amazed answer how much that is, question still comes up. <laughs> I just, I, even, I, I have in documentation for best practices, I actually have a paragraph in there, which basically says it depends. I'm like, look, if you're getting the performance that you desire and require out of your virtual machines in a data store, it's the right size. It's the right VM density. You've done it great. <laughs> you know, like there, there's, you know, there's no simple answer here. I can stick a couple of VMs in a single data store and bring, your system to its knees, you know, or I could stick 10 in it and it works fine. I'm like, it just depends on what you're doing. Uh, you know, and if you talk customers through it, I, they, they get it, but it's just the, I think it's the, 
you know, it's the it's the mindset sometimes that they're used to having kind of, you know, straightforward answers about these type of things. Um, it, it, customers who work on databases, already RDBMS is a lot. So in particular, as, you know, Cody mentioned, I work on Oracle. You know, Oracle is very, um, uh, has some, you know, very strict recommendations in terms of, let's say, how you lay out things and where you put certain things and things like that. And those customers are some of the ones who are most particular about, no, you need to tell me exactly what I need to do in the VMware space because Oracle does this. And so I need to know from you. Um, and uh, sometimes those conversations are, are, are tough, you know, to the idea that, that they're going to have to perhaps do some modeling, you know, perhaps run some performance tests, you know, figure out what works for them. Um, but you give them all the tools and, and, you know, you tell them about this great thing uh, of storage DRS or, you know, just that there's storage of emotion. I'm like, look, if you get in trouble, you can move things around and you can make it work for you. I said, so um, there's lots of options. I said, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to paint yourself into a corner here. VMware is going to give you the ability to, to, to do what you want. Yeah, there's a lot of different options that customers have now, especially with the feature set being very close to parity with all the different types of data stores. So yeah, there's usually not that, like you said, painted yourself into a corner issue that comes up. Well, Drew, it's been great having you on. I appreciate all your insights. It's always great to hear someone that's been in the industry for a long time, has a lot of insight, actually a lot of good views too, that kind of, and recommendations. RTM, right? That's right. And Drew, where can they find more information um, about you, for you? Uh, where can they go to RTFM? Oh, so yeah, I have a, I have a blog, which, you know, is, is courtesy of, of Cody. Uh, since he got me blogging way back when I worked with him, he had me guest blog. And when he left, I was kind of forced to, to do it myself because I had to get the information out. So drewtonison.wordpress.com or just search you know, Drew Thomas and Dell on Google, it'll pop up. And um, so I blog about a couple of different platforms there. There's a library for all the documentation, so it's easy to find. Um, and I'm happy to blog about anything you might have interest in. Feel free to leave a comment. And, um, you know, if I can, I'll make a blog. Yeah, out. there's some good stuff out there. Drew's got some really good technical insight on some different areas. I definitely, and I'll put that in the show links as well. Cody, you want to wrap us up? I think I do. Well, as you know, uh, we may not be 100% reads, but we are 100% right. 